Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles this evening and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. John chapter 6, we will be starting in this chapter, and then looking at another of other passages. We're continuing our our series, uh, looking at the lives of the apostles molded by the Master, and looking at Philip this evening. In the old Dragnet television series, Jack Webb played the part of Sergeant Joe Friday, the detective that was was really known for being very calm and simply wanting to gather the facts. He'd say, all we want are the facts, ma'am, just the facts. He wasn't interested in opinion or a lot of other things. He was in pursuit of the verifiable rather than the opinion or perception. I tend to think of the Apostle Philip as having a similar temperament. Not high-strung, not emotional, but very methodical, fact-focused. He was strong with facts, but as we look at his life, we'll find that in some ways that, that ability at times became a liability. He struggled in the area of faith. And this evening, I would like us to consider this apostle. He was a, a man who, who struggled to learn to walk by faith when he really wanted to see. He, he really was simply seeking the facts. And yet the Lord molds him in that area. In the list of the apostles, the disciples, as we have looked at, he is the first one mentioned in the second group. That first group of of Simon Peter, of Andrew, James, and John, and we've considered them the two groups of brothers. When it comes to the second group, Philip is always mentioned in first in that group. He's always the fifth disciple mentioned. Uh, Philip, Nathaniel, or uh, Bartholomew is also his name, of Matthew and Thomas. But, but it, it would appear that Philip was the leader of that group. And in this role, he, he, he has a Greek name. His name actually means lover of horses. He may have also had a Jewish name, but we're not given that. And so we we find this, and this is going to be important as we look at at one of the snapshots of his life. Um, What we find about Philip, though, we find in the Gospel of John. The synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we refer to them as the synoptics because they see in a similar way. They have a, a common perspective on the life of Christ. The only mention we find of Philip in those Gospels is when he's listed as one of the apostles. So it's John's gospel that gives us the insight into his personality, into his character, into his struggles. You know, if, if you want to know a person, to find out what they think, what makes them tick, you really find out through what they say. The Bible tells us that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And Philip is mentioned four times in John's gospel, and each time we find him speaking. And so we get those windows into his life. 
we find out, and the Holy Spirit records what Philip said to give us a, a really a window into his heart and thereby his character. I want us to begin here in John chapter 6, and we, we get this glimpse that I think tells us a little bit about who he is. In John chapter 6, look with me at verse 4. John 6, beginning in verse 4. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. We'll stop our reading there. It gives us this insight. Here, here the Lord is testing Philip. We, we find out this was, this was kind of a pop test. He didn't have time to prepare. He didn't know it was coming. It wasn't on the class syllabus that, that you're going to have this test. And when it comes, he resorts to what he sees. We, we find out what he sees, and, and we're going to look shortly in a few moments at this vignette, but I think it gives us an insight into his thinking, his understanding. And what we see is that, that Philip was a man with spiritual interest, but he had to learn to walk by faith. He had to develop in this area. And I think we can learn from him as well. Philip, Philip is completely different. Is from the other apostles that we've considered, from Peter and Andrew, James and John. He, he tends to be fact-focused. Just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. And that's what he looks at. He's cautious, he's calculating, he's, he's conservative, he, he, ha, he knows too much math to be adventurous. I mean, it's going to keep him kind of hemmed in. He wants the details. And he wants all the facts to come. Now, now that's not necessarily bad. You need this kind of person, especially in ministry. They, they help make sure that all the bases are covered, that we've thought through, that we've looked at these things, that, that you've counted the cost. But that strength can also become a weakness, and we're going to see that in Philip. You know, if somebody came to him with a new idea or something that seemed off the wall, he's going to have the list of reasons why this is not going to work. His practical strength can also become a spiritual deficiency. And so I want us to look at his life and learn from him. The key lesson that we learn is that he had to learn to walk by faith. Let me have you turn back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, because this is where we first see him, and he shows a, a spiritual sensitivity. We've considered this passage on a number of other occasions because it, it gives us that window into the calling of the first disciples. In John 1, look at verse 43. It says, The following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Now there, there are a couple of general points that we see here. Philip is from Bethsaida. This is the town of Peter and Andrew. It, it pro they probably grew up together. They would have attended the same synagogue. 
he may have also been a fisherman. We don't know that, but in John chapter 21, verse 2, when Peter announces that he's going fishing, those that are with him say, we're going too. And it's thought that Philip is one of the two unnamed disciples in that group that go with him. But if if he were a fisherman, I suspect that Philip's fishing stories were different than Peter's. I think just by nature of their personality, Philip is going to give you very precise details and, 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 and Peter's just going to kind of give you the big round numbers and they're probably going to be tending to his, his advantage in knowing their personalities. But what we see in this picture is he's encountering Christ. He's, he's seeking the Lord. And this is one of the things that we see about him in his encounter of Christ. Philip was one of the first disciples to follow Jesus. Jesus is going forth into Galilee, and and this day he's, he's finding Andrew, John, and then Peter in the wilderness, and apparently Philip also was in the wilderness, probably with John the Baptist before returning to Galilee. And Jesus seeks him out. Jesus looks for Philip. Philip is the first one to hear and to obey the words, follow me. We read that Jesus finds Philip and says, follow me. And that excitement then that comes to Philip, because from the outset, Jesus is actively seeking him. We see that in verse 43. He found Philip. Now, Philip goes and finds Nathanael, his friend. But notice what he says in verse 45. He says, we have found him. So who found whom in this story? Notice notice Philip's concern. As far as Philip was concerned, he found Christ rather than being found by Christ. But as we read the text, we realize that Jesus found him. And I mention this because I, I really find, think that in this passage, we, we find that tension between God's sovereign call and human responsibility coming together. Philip is a wonderful example of how God calls him, and yet there's that desire on his part. The Lord finds Philip, but Philip feels like he found the Lord. So when he comes to Nathaniel, he says, we have found him. But what we read is Christ found Philip. From a human perspective, this was the end of Philip's search. There was a hunger in his soul. There was a longing. He had been looking to have this satisfied, and now it's been met. From a biblical perspective, we know that God's choice is the determinative one. And we we cannot give humanly spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. It is the word of life that the spirit of life uses to give eternal life. It's the work of regeneration. But rather than getting hung up on trying to figure out how this all works, I want us to draw the attention to the fact that it is God's grace that made Philip receptive to that call. There was a spiritual sensitivity that is the work of God that he's longing for. So when, he, when this relationship comes, he says, we have found him. He was not indifferent to spiritual things. He was interested. He was active. There was a desire because that is the work of God taking place. It is is God's grace that prepared Philip to be receptive to Christ's call. It's the grace of God that, that prepared that soil 
So that when Jesus said, follow me, he rose up. He, he wanted to, and, and he was excited by, about that. He examined the teaching of Scripture. That was the second thing that I want us to see in this passage. When he goes to Nathaniel and he tries to convince him, notice what he uses to convince him. In verse 45, he says, when he finds Philip, he says, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. So what does that tell you about Philip? He knew the Old Testament. He, he was a student of the Scripture. He knew what Moses said. He knew what the, the, the Pentateuch said. And he also knew what the prophets had written. And when he comes, he's coming with that knowledge. Now, now Andrew and John had followed Jesus because of the, the testimony of John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. And they followed him. Philip follows because Jesus satisfies the prophecies of the Old Testament. The descriptions that are given, he, he examines the evidence. And notice this, the specificity of what he says in verse, 20, in verse 46, or in verse 45, when he says he's got his personal name, Jesus. He has his place of residence, of Nazareth. He knows his heritage, the son of Joseph. It may be that he recognized that, that Jesus was of the line of David. And when he looks at the Old Testament details, and he looks at the life of Christ, he is convinced that this is the one who fulfills the prophecies. He's persuaded by the facts, and he's looking with precision. He's careful, he's exact, but he also shows a, a desire, a concern, an evangelistic concern for his friend. Because now he's gone to, to Nathaniel and he wants to tell him about the, the Messiah. His statement indicates that there was probably more that had, been, had taken place. And, and I would imagine from the text, I get the impression that they've discussed spiritual things before. This is a friendship that has had a focus on spiritual things. Because he's excited to go to him and says, look, we found him. And now he's explaining it. And Philip is not an overly emotional person. He's interested in the facts. He, he wants that information. He's not going to be swayed by some emotional appeal. But when he examines the truth, he says, you know, this man lines up with what the prophet said. He's been seeking the Lord. And he says, we found him. And that friendship with Nathaniel is the soil for the ground for evangelism. Do we see our friendships in that way? Those divine appointments, looking for opportunities to share the good news about Jesus Christ, that, that Christ Jesus has come into this world to save sinners, and that you can have a relationship, relationship with God through Christ alone. That's what, what Philip is saying. He's not pointing to all these other things, saying, well, I, I found somebody who's got a great plan for your life who can solve all your problems, who can fix your, your personal struggles, who can clean up the mess you've made, that, that's offering your best life now. He doesn't do any of that. He said, when we look at the Old Testament, when we look at the Scripture, here's a man who matches the description of the Messiah. Philip spoke of Jesus in the terms of the Word of God. And when we give the Gospel, we need to use the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. 
And this is what he does. He said, we found him. Moses, the apostles, the prophets, the prophets have spoken of him. Here's the one we found. Now, Philip is factual. These things add up. Nathaniel offers a question of his own, but it's one of opinion. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, there may have been some reason for his opinion, but Philip doesn't try to argue with him. He just invites him and says, well, come and see. You come with me, examine the evidence. Now, sometimes in giving the gospel, somebody starts to throw up resistance and say, well, have you ever read the Bible? How about reading it? Get into the Word. I often tell them to start in the Gospel of John and examine the evidence. This is what Philip is doing. He had examined Scripture. He met the Lord. He says, this is the person who meets what Scripture says, and he's trusted him. We have found him. The object of his faith was the one who fulfilled the Word of God. As a practical man, as somebody who wants facts, just the facts, he says, this makes sense. He had certain questions. The Bible has the answer. This is the kind of person, he can be a fervent servant of the Lord. But that practicality can also become a detriment. And that's what we saw in chapter 6. And so let me take you back to that. That we understand that this is another aspect. Philip's analytical approach becomes a spiritual liability in chapter 6. So let's go back to to chapter 6. Notice the confrontation. And again, I, I think on the personality tests that, that Philip probably scored very high when it came to the area of looking at concrete information, of drawing logical conclusions, of, of seeing how it fit in, within a structure. He'd gather that information, he could make those decisions. He was a factual man, but now his, his perception is being put to the test. And those are the verses that we read here in John chapter 6. When this, when this test comes. Now this is an amazing miracle. This is the only miracle that is included in all four of the Gospels. And it is the miracle that impacts the most people in a, in a personal, visual way. The Lord has been teaching. There is a huge crowd that has come. No, there are, there are 5,000 men plus women and children. It's estimated there were probably 20,000 people. You know, if you wanted to be around Jesus in that day, you, you couldn't be adverse to crowds because this was a large gathering. So it's easily 20,000 plus. And, and, and Jesus has taught that, you know, man doesn't live by bread alone, but they do need bread to live. And so in this passage, we find this, this taking place. The, the Passover has come. Jesus lifts up his eyes. He's, he sees this great multitude as, as they've come and as, as they're there at this time. And, and he, he turns to Philip and he said, I have a question for you. And he asks them the question, where shall we buy bread? Now notice the question Jesus asks and notice the question Philip answers. Jesus asked the question, where do we need to go to get bread? That's not the question Philip answers. That that doesn't even come on his radar. And the parenthetical statement in verse 6 is is for our understanding, our benefit, to give us insight as to what's going on here and help us realize something. What is the question Philip answers? How much does it cost? 
And he really answers by saying, we don't even have enough. We can't afford it. It's almost like Philip didn't even hear the question Jesus asked. Jesus asked the question, where shall we buy bread that these people may eat? And Philip says, we can't afford to pick up the tab on this group. We can't do that. And, and so he's concluded, and, and I, again, I think because of his analytical mind, his, his ability to count, he's probably already been estimating how many people there are there. You know, do a quick head count in this group and say, okay, if I multiply that out. It, it, and, and he says, if we had 200 days wages, the salary for 200 days, it's not even going to put a dent in feeding this group. I mean, we can't even buy the appetizers for these people. That's what he's saying. Now, it may be that that's a, the money they had. For Jesus and the disciples and those that would be going with him and traveling, that, that might have been a, the amount of money they had. I don't know why he came up with this, this number, but what he said is, we don't have enough. And the, the, what we see is that the quality that directed him to believe in Christ became a liability in walking with Christ. He had examined the evidence. He had looked at the Old Testament. He looked at what Moses said. He looked at what the prophets said. And he said, this man fits those details. But now he's looking at this crowd and saying, there's no way that we can buy food for this group. You know, every strength has a corresponding weakness. If you're a person of high self-discipline, which is an important quality. You can become harsh, unbending, unsympathetic with others. If, if you are a very compassionate person, you may have trouble in holding them to, to things that need to be done, of helping others. Well, this was a man for whom facts were everything. You know, as, the, as one author said, he, he, he knew too much arithmetic to be adventurous. He, he just couldn't step out of that grid. And so he said, you know, we, we just don't have enough. Philip is the kind of guy saying, I don't think it's going to work. We can't afford it. There, there's no way this is going to, going to work. He's calculating it, and that becomes the liability because he struggled to see beyond human impracticability. It was impractical for him, and so when he's caught off guard, when Jesus says, Philip, where can we go to get food for these people? He misses the most important detail in the entire scene. He's standing next to the Son of God. The person asking him is God the Son. The Lord has already shown Philip his priorities, his purpose, his power, and his person. But in the moment when, when he's asked, when he's tested, none of that comes to bear. He simply opens his checkbook and he says it can't happen. He looks at his checkbook rather than looking at Christ and says we can't do this. Do you understand what he had already seen Jesus do? He had seen Jesus make wine out of well water. He had observed him healing people with long, lifelong disabilities. He had heard Jesus say that, that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. He was one with the Father. And yet when he's asked this question, he says, it won't work. When the test came and he wasn't expecting it, he wasn't prepared he failed. Folks, how often do we do the same thing? 
Rather than getting hard on, coming down hard on Philip, don't we do that? We know what the Bible says, but when it seems like circumstances crash in on us, we throw up our hands and say, it's not going to work. You know, we know what verses to use, but we don't get the preparation time. And that's what happens with Philip. He, he's not told, okay, Philip, I'm going to ask you a question because I want to test you. No, he, he's just asked, where do we go to buy bread for these people? We can't. It can't happen. You know, those are the times that we get thrown off guard when, when economic uncertainty comes, when health problems come, with family difficulties or, or a combination of many other things, work situations and, and problems. It's like, Lord, I don't know what to do. Well, we may probably know the verses, but we struggle to apply it. See, Philip's being challenged here. And part of the problem is that he struggled to see beyond the human aspect. And ultimately, it's because he's asking the wrong question. Jesus didn't ask him, how much would it cost? And how much do we have? He asked him, where do we go? Well, really, the place he needed to go was to the Lord. Because he's then the one who answers. And what follows is the Lord feeding the 5,000 plus making them sit down in groups in a grassy place, dividing them up, and, and providing the food for them. And as I mentioned, this, is, this has been said to be the greatest miracle. It's the only one that occurs in all four Gospels. It affects more people than any other miracle. And Philip needed it to focus his attention on the Lord. He needed to grow in faith, not just be able to recognize the facts. And we have to be careful that we don't focus merely on material things and miss ministry opportunities. That's what we see in his life. The, the third window, though, shows a man who is growing, but he's still struggling. He's, he's more sensitive, but he still struggles to see the big picture and to really grasp the heart of Christ. If you want to turn with me to John chapter 12, this is where we find that next scene. In John chapter 12... He's struggling to understand the spirit of things. Notice verse 20. John 12, look at verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and they said, asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Now the situation is it's Passion Week. It's, it's that last week and now it, just before the crucifixion and you have some Greeks that are coming and they want to see Jesus. And they come to Philip because he has a Greek name. And so it's, it's the logical choice for them to go to Philip because he has a Greek name and they would assume that he would help in this situation. But Philip's not quite sure what to do. He doesn't know how to handle this and, and where he should turn. Why would he think that? Well, probably he remembers what Jesus told them earlier, that he was sending them out and not to go to the Gentiles, but that they were to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. And I suspect that... that Philip had filed that away. We're not to go to the Gentiles. We're to go to the, the Jews, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And, and he hasn't gotten a memo saying that's changed. 
And so now you've got these Greeks coming to Philip. They say, we want to see Jesus. They say, ah, you know, well, I'm not really supposed to take the Greeks to them. But he's sensitive enough to say, but I need to find out what I should do. And where does he turn? He turns to Andrew, the disciple that we see constantly bringing people to Jesus. He, get, he, he wants a second opinion in how to handle this. So, so Philip knows the specifics, but he hasn't yet caught the spirit of the Lord. That he's the savior of the world, not just the Jews. Because it tells us in John 1, verses 11 and 12, he came unto his own, but his own people did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so understanding this is the aspect of ministry. You know, it's not always convenient. But we, we don't minister where it's convenient. We minister where God gives us opportunity. And, and, and Philip's wrestling with this. And, and so Andrew seems to have understood that bringing people to Jesus is what it's all about. And here are people asking, and so together they bring them, they bring these Greeks to Jesus. And what we see is that that faith produces a confidence, a courage. It develops a, a positive faith attitude that rests in the Word of God and on the character of God. That God's character is He wants people to be saved. And so whatever doubts Philip might have had, Andrew said, no, we're taking them to Jesus. And this is the point where Jesus then announces, the hour is come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The focal point that He is going to be the Savior of the world. It was a gospel of self-denial, of death, not self-fulfillment and personal ambition. And Philip is seeking to grasp that truth. He's trying to understand how all of this comes together. Let me have you turn to John chapter 14 because it's here that we find that, that final picture, the fourth statement in John's gospel, and we find Philip again speaking. This is the upper room. It's the... Jesus' last night of earthly ministry. It's on the eve of the crucifixion. Look at verse 1. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. And where I go you know and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Let me stop there just for a moment. Philip's going to be in the very next scene. But notice the setting. The, the formal training of, our, of the apostles has come to an end. Yet, humanly speaking, these men still have a long way to go. They're still not getting it. They, they've missed some pretty important lessons. I mean, after three years of, of spiritual education with the master teacher, they don't get it. They were arguing over who's going to be the greatest. 
I mean, this is the argument that's taking place there in the upper room in, in the previous chapter. And it, and it goes on until Jesus gets up and, and picks up the towel and the wash basin and washes their feet. And that shuts them all up. But they've missed the point. And it's not the teacher's fault. But I also think it's fascinating to see how the Lord is patient with them even when they don't get it the first time. I mean, I, I find that to be a tremendous blessing personally. He's planted the seeds. They will come to fruition. He set the example. He's being gentle. He's being patient. And, and even here, he doesn't say to, to Thomas or to Philip, you know, what's wrong with you people? You know, get with the program. He's preparing them for his departure. He's told them he's going to go away. And, and they're upset by that. And he says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in me. And so there are questions from these two, two men. Thomas, which we've read, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And that tremendous verse, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we, we see that. And it's interesting because the last statement Jesus makes to Thomas is in John 20, verse 29, where it says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. He, he, Thomas is saying, we don't know. And, and he wants to see later. But it's interesting because Philip is the one who asked the question about seeing. Look at verse 8. It says, and Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. I, I just have one request. Show me God and I'll be satisfied. That's what Philip is saying. And Jesus said to him, verse 9, Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me, the words that I speak to you? I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me, that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe for the sake of, believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Verse 12, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also. The greater works than these he shall do, because I go to my Father. And whatsoever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. Philip has asked one question. He says, Lord, I've just got one small request. Show us the Father and it will be sufficient. Well, that was a human impossibility. No one can see God and live. Moses had just seen a fraction of the glory of God and his countenance radiated by that encounter. And Jesus is the revelation of the Father, the incarnation of God, God with us, Emmanuel. And so Jesus said, Philip, I and my Father are one. In Christ, we see the Father. We see his compassion, his forgiveness, his love, his patience. We see all of that. But notice the emphasis in this text. Notice what Philip is, is focusing on. He's saying, show me. Show us. We want to see. I, and, and that seeing aspect and what the Lord focuses attention on 
is believing. He says, believe. Believe my words or believe my works? Because both of those testify that Christ is teaching that no one can go to heaven who doesn't trust Him and embrace Him alone as Savior. There is no other way to the Father except through the Son. That there is heaven and there is a way. He's revealed it. He's revealed it in His teaching and His miracles testify that He is the Messiah. So what is faith based on? It's based on the Word of God and the works of the Lord. And that's what we see in this. He's saying, Philip, believe me for my word, what I have said. Or believe me for my works. That's why we have to be in the word. Faith comes by hearing, in a believing way, the word. Jesus is the revelation of the Father. He is the incarnation. And understanding that, the emphasis in the text is, Philip is saying, show us. I need to see. I need the facts. Jesus is saying, you've seen me, have faith, believe. I and my Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is teaching this. And this is the evidence that's being presented here. And the problem was Philip was really earthbound in his thinking. He needs to see the material. He's a skeptic. He's preoccupied with the details. And it's keeping him from seeing with the eyes of faith the Father. Maybe he had compartmentalized or isolated the things he had seen, but he failed to get the big, big picture of who Christ was. He had an inquiring mind, but he lacked a spiritual imagination. And that's what Jesus is telling him here. He's saying, have I been so long with you, Philip, and you still don't get it? Remember the test I gave you, that you had me I'm saying, where do we go to get food? You should have turned to me. Where do I go to see the Father? Turn to me. Jesus is telling them, you've seen me. There are some things that we can learn, and it's interesting because verse 10 is on, the focus is on believe, trust, believe in verse 11, believe in verse 12. Four times in three verses, the Lord tells Philip, believe. Philip didn't need some dramatic proof. He didn't need more evidence. He needed to trust what he had seen. He needed to accept the message and the messenger. But I think it's helpful for us to understand that that we need to recognize, how do we respond when the, the surprise tests of life come and we struggle with our faith? That's when we have to rest on who we know. That's how why we have to be in the Word. The Lord allows these tests to develop your faith and my faith that Jesus knew what he was going to do. He wasn't asking Philip for information. He was asking to apply it to his life personally. You know, the tests come when we least expect them. So do we look at our checkbook? Do we look at others? Do we try to find a solution of what we can do? Or do we turn to the Lord? Are we always trying to fix the situation or say, Lord, there's nothing I can do. I have to trust you. I would encourage us, I think one of the things we can learn from Philip is don't be so focused on avoiding the wrong that we fail to do what's right. Here these Greeks come and say, we want to see Jesus. Well, I don't know if I should take them. Yes, let them see Jesus. That's the right thing to do, but he didn't want to do the wrong thing. Don't bury your talent and think the master will be pleased because you didn't lose it. I know where I buried it. No, we need to use it. 
for God's glory. We need to be careful that we don't allow difficult circumstances to obstruct our spiritual vision or stifle our faith. You know, the trials do come, but God knows what He's doing. He's working everything together for His glory and for our good, and that good is that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. So we need to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Philip, have I been so long with you and you don't see it? We need to be that person who examines Scripture and then live in the light of that truth. Faith comes by hearing. And as we do that, then we promote a positive attitude of faith in ourselves and in those around us. Do we encourage our children, our families, to trust God? We don't know how this is going to work out, but we can pray and trust God because He has said He will supply what we need. You know, too often we struggle to get our mental arms around certain theological truths. And if we can't, we say, well, I just don't think I can believe. You know, our finite minds will never grasp an infinite God. But He's given us all we need for life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of Him. So, why don't we just believe what we believe? Several years ago, I had a gentleman that I was sharing the gospel with, and and he had a lot of questions. And I had spent several hours with him at different times answering questions, and and others had as well. They would meet with him and answer questions, and and he just had more and more questions. And, And one night, it was in March, I was sitting at his kitchen table many years ago. I'm sitting with him and his wife, and we're looking at verses, and I'm answering more questions. And, and finally, I, I, I'd gone through the gospel again. I don't know how many times we had done this. And finally, I, I just turned to him and I said, Nate, do you believe the gospel message that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? He says, yes. I said, do you believe that applies to you? I, he said, yes. I said, do you believe the wages of sin is death and, and you deserve that because of your sin? He said, yes, I believe that. I said, do you believe that Christ died for your sin? And there's no other way that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, yes, I believe that. And he said, but I still have questions. I said, Nate, I still have questions. But this is what you have to believe to trust Jesus Christ. And that night he put his trust in Jesus Christ. We have to have faith to believe what the Bible says. This man, Philip, had to grow in his faith. Where are we in our walk today? What are the circumstances we're struggling? Then get into God's Word and trust Him that He is faithful. Well, I don't see how it's all going to work. No, the just will live by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. But it's based on the evidence of the commands and character of God. So Jesus said, Philip, believe me for what I've said. Or believe me for my works. My word or my works both validate that if you have seen me, you have seen God. So let's grow in our knowledge of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How's your faith journey this evening? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you would help us to walk by faith. When we have trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior to to live in such a way that we will change and grow for your glory. 
Lord, when the difficulties come, when the trials come, when the uncertainties of life come and, and crash upon us at the most inopportune and unsuspected times, Lord, rather than buckle under the circumstances, help us to look to you. That our faith would look up to thee, the Lamb of Calvary. Lord, help us to walk by faith and not by sight. And to learn from Philip, a man who examined the evidence, but had to learn to trust you and walk by faith. Help us to do the same. And the Lord, we pray that we also would use the friendships that we have, as Philip did, to share with others the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this example. We pray that we will change and grow from what we've considered this evening, that we will be a people of faith for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.